reading this morning will be from Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. Romans 15, verses 1 to 7. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Hey, good morning. Well, Chad spoiled it for me. I was going to get up here and say, hi, I'm Wayne. I found the fountain of youth. Well, I guess that didn't work out. Are you doing an announcement after? Okay, so Chad has an announcement for us after the lesson and after the closing prayer. So please don't get up and quickly rush out, but stay seated for that announcement. So welcome to everyone. Welcome to our visitors at home, uh, those who are, are watching at home, and those who are visiting here with us today. Uh, a couple of reminders, and actually it's interesting because this lesson is all about reminders. But uh, a couple of reminders. John Muller will be leading our evening discussion class, so another one of our elders leading our evening discussion class. So I want to invite all of you to come out for that tonight. And another reminder is uh, my wife, Che. Che is going to be joining us next week. She'll be arriving on Saturday. She'll be here from Saturday to Saturday. And it's unfortunate that it coincides with that women's retreat. Um, that is unfortunate. But uh, it was about $250 cheaper to, to book it this week. And any other time, it was $250 more. So money says everything, right? Unfortunately. So this morning, we continue in the book of Romans, uh, and we're getting close to finishing it. Next month, we will be done with the book of Romans. I think there's about two or three lessons left, and then we'll be all done. Uh, so from the reading that we just heard, we can see that what God wants for his people is for them to really care about each other with a real and sincere love and to work at unity. We're to work at unity. We're to work hard at it. He also wants us to love our neighbors and seek what is best for them. That's what we're supposed to do as Christians. Obviously, Paul had to get after these Christians because they were very selfish. The audience that he's speaking to, they were very selfish. And in the world today, many people are selfish. They try to please themselves. But that is not to be you, and that is not to be me. We are not to be selfish. We died to self when we came to Christ, and we need to put selfishness aside as Christians. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Do nothing from selfish selfishness or empty conceit but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves do not merely look out for your own personal interests but also for the interests of others that's the new american standard bible version so paul paul was telling the same thing to the church in philippi that he's telling to these christians here and he's telling them not to be selfish he's telling them to love one another and so we are to work at loving others and wanting the best for them and as the title of this lesson says don't stop now. We're to work at it. We're to never stop. It is the same when it comes to unity. Unity can't happen unless we work at it. 
It's something else that we can't stop at. We have to always work at it. Unity requires each and every single one of us to work at unity. We all have to be working hard at it. So as we heard in verse 7 in our reading, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So let me say that again. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. And that's the message that Paul wanted to get across to these Christians. Accept each other. Think about everything we talked about in the previous chapter and how they were behaving. Accept one another. Our greatest desire should be to bring praise, glory, and honor to God. And we achieve that when we truly put to death self and put others first. That's what God wants us to do. So in our reading that we heard a minute ago, in the first six verses, Paul talked about these things. He talked about all the stuff I just mentioned. Then in the next seven verses, Paul tried to emphasize to these Gentiles how fortunate they were that the gospel came to them. Paul wanted them to understand how blessed they were. They were fortunate that God showed them mercy and that God brought the gospel to them, that they are saved people of God. And so Jesus and the gospel first came to the Jews, God's chosen people. Then it came to the Gentiles because the Jews rejected Jesus. God deserved to be praised and glorified by the Gentiles for his mercy. And so should we. We should be praising God and glorifying God for the mercy that he's shown us. But notice, and we're going to look at Romans chapter 15 now, verses 8 to 12, the verses right after the reading. Paul quoted five Old Testament passages to show that the Gentiles should praise and glorify God because the mercy that God had shown to them. Look at verses 8 to 12 now. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Again, it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. Seems kind of interesting that Paul overwhelms them with scriptures. He doesn't just give one or two, he gives five. You might notice there's only four listed, but one of those passages of scripture is quoted in two different places in the Old Testament. So technically, five, five places. He, he, he bombards them with scriptures. Paul then did as he had done in many of his letters. After scolding his audience in the last chapter and a little bit in this chapter, he gave words of encouragement. That's what Paul does. Verse 13, he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you were to go through all the letters that Paul wrote you would see this pattern to which he used to address Aaron Christians, or how he wrote his letters. First, he would announce himself, sometimes remind the people that he was an apostle, appointed by Jesus himself. Then he would give a greeting like, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So he would follow that with praise. He would give some kind of praise. You can read about that. And, and then he would remind them. He would remind them of the kind of life they used to live before they obeyed the gospel. Or he would remind them of the gospel that they had obeyed. And then would come the scolding. That's how Paul did it. Come the scolding, not too harshly though, followed by encouragement. So Paul always balanced in all his letters uh, scolding and encouragement. And he balanced it. So not to discourage them. But to, to get after them a little bit and then give them some encouragement. And so 
We see that Paul started his encouragement, verse 13. Now let's take a look at verse 14. He says, I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. So Paul said he was convinced that these mature Christians were full of goodness. He was appealing to them with compassion, with compassion and kindness. As God's holy people, sometimes we need reminders. And this lesson is all about reminders. We need reminders, something the Apostle Paul was very good at doing. If you go through his letters, you'll see that he does that quite often. Reminders to help them to understand, to bring them back to their senses. And so we need someone to tell us about the things we're doing right instead of what we are doing wrong so that we can be strengthened and refreshed in our faith. And that's what Paul is doing here in this letter here, in this verse. It's an example of how we should deal with issues in the church. So how should we deal with people in the church? How should we deal with issues? How should we deal with erring Christians? Well, we should do it gently and with compassion, while using God's word to teach us how to teach others. This is how these mature Gentile Christians should have dealt with the issue that we talked about in chapter 14, in dealing with the meat and not eating food, uh, not eating meat, and that's how they should have dealt with it. But instead, what they did was they just gave these Christians, this other group, a hard time. That's all they did. They weren't considering their guilty consciences, as we have said last week. So it's important to realize that at that time, and for us today, if we're going to help people to understand what God's will is, we need to do it using God's word. That's how you help people to understand what the will of God is. So just telling people about God's will and, and showing people from the Bible where it says it, where so they can read it for themselves, that's two different things. Think about it. If I tell you that God says something, God says this, Okay, if I show you with scriptures, doesn't that make a big difference? Let me give an example. Last week we talked about that God considers all food clean. And then I showed you Mark chapter 7, verses 14 to 19. Well, if I tell somebody that God considers all food clean, then what happens? It just sounds like it's my opinion. That's all it sounds like. So we use the word of God to show people what God's will is. We need to let God's word speak for God. So think of what Paul said here. Think of what it was that Paul got after them, these mature Gentile Christians for. He was telling them to take under consideration the new Christian whose faith is weak. Think about them. Consider them. They did not have the same level of knowledge as they did. They should have gently instructed them and showed them that the Bible doesn't say that they must abstain from meats. Take a look at verse 14 again. What I want to emphasize is the second half of that verse. He says, I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, but notice, complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another. It was the one thing they didn't do. They didn't use the word of God to instruct them, to help them to understand that what they're doing is not biblical. There's nothing in the Bible that says they can't eat meat. That's what they should have done. So verses 15 and 16 now. I have written you quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again. Notice reminders. Paul was very good at this. Because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So Paul said that he wrote boldly about a few things. Paul often wrote boldly in his letters. But he would be timid face to face. And he himself even said this. He testified to this in 2 Corinthians 10.1. He, 
He said, I'm timid when I'm, I'm there with you. When I'm talking to you, I'm timid. But when I write to you, I'm bold. And he boldly told him about a few things here. He made it clear that he was sent to be a minister to the Gentiles and that his writing to them, reminding them of the things he wrote and also preaching the good news were his priestly duties. He was called to do these things. He was called by Christ himself. If we were to study the Old Testament, we would understand that a priest was chosen by God to be a minister for the people of Israel. Well, this is why Paul said that he was a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He's pointing out, I am a minister. I am a priest. The priest was also in charge of reminding the people about what the law of Moses said. So it's not surprising that Paul uses this imagery, this language, to show that when he wrote, he was reminding them. He was trying to help them to understand. He was the new priest under the new covenant, not under the old. The Greek word translated as remind means to recall to mind again. So recall to mind again. The points that Paul focused on in this letter were something that they already knew and something that they were already taught, and he was making them recall to mind again. He was trying to get them to go to the back of their minds and bring that stuff back again. Think about when you have children, and you constantly have to tell your children over and over again, you know that you told them, you know that they got it, but they act up again, and they, they do it again, right? And so, so, okay, I'm going to tell you again. I'm going to remind you again. Well, that's kind of what's going on here. Paul already told them. They already knew better. Here he is, he's having to remind them again. So he's doing it over again. And so, as Christians, we always need to be reminded of what the Bible says. They needed to be reminded. That's because we're always being hard-pressed by the evil in the world, aren't we? Influenced by others, influenced by media, TV, movies, the things that we see in there, the content of those things. And we can even grow weak in our faith, imagine that, by our own selfishness. When we turn in and we, we get selfish, we can get weak in our faith even by ourselves. It is possible. I've seen it. So we need to hear God's wonderful words again. We need to be reminded about how to live a holy life, how to treat others, and how to please God. And we also need to be reminded of the love of God. We constantly need to be reminded of the love of God. Because a lot of what we see in the world is negativity. It's not positive. We need to be reminded of that love of God. And the great rewards we have being in Christ, and the great rewards we have waiting for us. We need to be reminded of all those things because it's hard to live in this world, and we need to, be ha- need to, need to have those, those reminders, that encouragement to help us to get through our days. So in verse 16, Paul said that he was a minister to the Gentiles, proclaiming the gospel so that they would be an acceptable offering to God. Notice, an acceptable offering to God. What did Paul mean by an offering? An offering usually implies some kind of sacrifice. But Paul said so that the Gentiles, and we're considered Gentiles as well, might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Well, sanctified means holy and set apart from the world, set apart for holy use. And so he's talking about the Gentiles here. Notice what he says. Let me read that again. He says that he had become a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So sanctified by the Holy Spirit, made holy and set apart from the world, set apart for holy use by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit at some point made these Gentiles, and the Holy Spirit makes us today as well, holy and sets us apart for holy use. He made us an acceptable 
offering to God. So an important question comes to mind. How and when do we become an acceptable offering to God? When does that happen? How does that happen? And so here's where I take a little bit of a turn in the lesson, and we won't continue in the verses following, but we take a little bit of a turn here. This all happens when we respond to the gospel. When we respond to the gospel, that's when we become an acceptable offering to God. Responding to the gospel means believing the gospel, believing the good news, really believing it. Repenting of our sins, which means turning away from the way we live our life, away from self and living for God instead. Confessing that Jesus is the Son of God, our Lord and Savior. And then finally being baptized for the forgiveness of sins. To do all these things which are commanded is responding to the gospel. God is the one who is doing the saving, but we have to respond in order to receive that saving. So to respond means you have to do something. You have to take action. That's what it means. So let me give you an example, and I usually like to use this example to help people understand. When I was living back in New Brunswick, if you, Christmas time, you, you get a gift. You get a package from somebody. It's a Christmas gift. Okay, if the package is too big, it can't fit in your mailbox, you get a little cart. And that little cart tells you you have to go to the post office and pick up your gift. So this is a free gift that somebody's giving you, that they sent to you by mail, but you have to take action. You have to respond. You have to drive over to that post office with that card. You have to submit it. You have to take hold of the gift. You can't sit back home and go, I got a free gift. Okay, well, you're never going to see it if you don't take a hold of it, if you don't take action. Well, that's, that's what we need to understand. That's responding to the gospel. It's taking that action, taking that step and doing it. So when we respond to the gospel, it makes us acceptable to God. The Holy Spirit takes part in our obedience to the gospel by sanctifying us at the time of baptism. He makes us holy. He sets us apart for holy use. Take a look, if you will, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. And notice the language, notice what is said here. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. You notice the language he uses. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. He's talking about baptism. And you were washed. You were sanctified. You were made holy. You were set apart for holy use. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so this is what happens. This is what happens when we respond to the gospel. Think about what you used to be. Think about what you are now. When we respond to the gospel, we are set apart from the world. We are made holy to be used for God's good purposes. God can use us at that point. We're holy. We've been made clean. We also receive the Holy Spirit. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Take a look and see what it says here. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So we receive the Holy Spirit as a deposit. Well, what do you think of when you think of deposit? 
What does it mean to put a deposit down on a house or a car? It means you own it, but you will own it fully later, right? So you put a deposit on the house, okay, you own the house, but you own it fully when it's completely paid off. Same with the car. And in the same sense, we receive the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come, our full salvation when Christ comes, salvation and our eternal home, eternal life, living forever. That's what we get to receive. So we, the Holy Spirit, we receive the Holy Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing this, that this is going to happen. And he lives in us, and he helps us. And so, our inheritance is eternal life. It is living forever with our glorious God, and it's so much more. This is what awaits those who have responded to the gospel, to those who have taken action, and who continue to be living sacrifices for the Lord. It doesn't just end when you respond to the gospel. It doesn't stop there. You have to continue to live for the Lord. You have to be a living sacrifice for the Lord. You have to continue to be an acceptable offering to God. It doesn't stop there. We think of Romans, and we've been going through this series in Romans. When we look back at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and this has been quoted quite a bit, I'll just quickly read it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Remember that the audience he's speaking to is the same audience he was speaking to here in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And that audience he mentions in in chapter 11, verse 13. I am talking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I make much of my ministry. So he's talking to these Gentile Christians in the church. It's the same audience in Romans chapter 15 as it is here in Romans chapter 12. So living in this world with evil all around us and yet staying faithful to Jesus is part of our spiritual act of worship. It is offering ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. We can't stop now. So as the title of the lesson, don't stop now. It isn't just a matter of trying to love each other and do all these things. We are to be living sacrifices, and we're to continue to do that right until Jesus returns. We've talked a lot about that already in the past, so I'm not going to talk about it any further. We need to continue to work on that, being living sacrifices, a sacrifice acceptable, acceptable offering to God. And so the Apostle Paul loved giving reminders, as we talked about. His letters are filled with them. Well, what, what was he reminding his audience about in this chapter? Well, take a look. Paul's reminders. He reminds them, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. He says that in verse 1. He says, each of us should please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. Verse 2. And finally, remember, you were once new converts too. This is a point that needs to be emphasized. Something that he's probably trying to to get across to these Gentile Christians. Don't forget, you were there where they are now. Don't forget yourselves. You have all this knowledge, but they don't. Don't forget about that. Paul wanted these Gentile Christians who were mature in the faith to remember that they had to be gently and lovingly instructed by God's word at the beginning of their Christian walk, just as these new converts had to be. They needed to be careful and treat new Christians with respect and compassion in the way that they deal with them so that they might get encouragement. It's too easy to discourage. We need to try to encourage. So they were to help them grow in knowledge of God's word, not hurt them and defile their consciences as they did. This reminder is for us too. This is a very big reminder for us. 
We all had a starting point. We all came to the Lord with baggage. Each one of us came to the Lord with baggage. Things that we had to work on, things that we easily forget. And so when we have new Christians that come along, we have to remember they're going through that too. We all had to learn a lot of things at the beginning. And it took time. It took a lot of patience. We need to be patient with new Christians and give them time to learn and to grow. We have to remember that they don't have the same amount of knowledge that we do. Those of us who are mature Christians have plenty of knowledge. We have to use that wisely. We have to be careful not to discourage them. Sometimes we expect them to know what God's word says on certain matters, but think about it. How could they? They haven't studied it yet. They don't know that yet. And so we want to gently instruct them with God's word instead of telling them everything they're doing wrong. We want to use God's word to help them to grow. We need to give them direction. We need to give them scripture to study. What I'm sharing with you is simply a reminder. I am reminding you. I'm reminding reminding you of where you were and where they are. And so we all need a gentle reminder from time to time. And that's exactly what our lessons are about. Every Lord's Day when we come here, these are reminders. These are reminders to us about what God's word says on certain matters, how we we are to live our lives, how we are to treat others. And so we need these reminders. We need these reminders every Lord's Day. Only by coming to Christ and responding to his gospel can you be an acceptable offering pleasing to God. If you are here today and you've not responded to the gospel, then I remind you of what I said earlier in this lesson. You need to come to Christ to be an acceptable offering pleasing to God. Won't you take action Won't you respond today? Let's stand and sing our closing song. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining.